If you would, please stand for the reading of God's word here. Genesis 50, verses 15 through 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave us this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. But the two best words in the Bible, but God... But God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. You can be seated. So this question came to mind as I was preparing this this last week. And the Holy Spirit said to me first, Dave, what are you holding on to? Are you holding on to God's word and his promises, which produce the fruit of the Spirit? Or, Dave, are you holding on to your own words and your own self-given promises, which produce the fruit of the enemy? And then the Lord brought this true story to mind that I'm going to read through. It's one of the most famous feuds, family feuds in history. Anyone know it? Hatfields and McCoys. You win a free bulletin today, Charles. Here's a true story. Here's the Hatfield clan. Fine-looking bunch. Didn't have a picture of the McCoys. But here's a true story about assumptions, about projection of feelings and emotions, about deflections of truth, about bitterness, which easily turns into hatred, which turns into murder, which all equals zero forgiveness. The Hatfields and McCoys are the most famous familial feud in American history. The feud story spans across decades, from the Civil War to the 1890s, and battles in both Kentucky and West Virginia. And at one point, the U.S. Supreme Court got involved. They even spawned a little mini-series on the History Channel, starring Kevin Costner and Bill Paxton. I actually really enjoyed that. It was quite historically accurate. So what caused this feud? The feud all began in 1864 when Confederate soldiers William Anderson, otherwise known as Devil Ons, nice nickname, Hatfield, and his cousin, Jim Vance, murdered former Union soldier Asa Harmon McCoy. Why? Good question. Because they believed 
that he was responsible for the shooting of a friend of Devil Anza's during wartime. Isn't that always a, kind of an unfortunate reality of war, that people are going to die? They didn't have any proof, but they believed. They went on an assumption. So Asa McCoy's murder kicked off the Hatfield and McCoy feud. But it was far from the only or worse incident. Years after the initial murder, the bad blood continued when Randolph McCoy took the Hatfield family to court over the stealing of a hog. <laughs> Alleging that the hog owned by Floyd Hatfield was really his. The justice of the peace in the case, however, happened to be named Anderson Hatfield. The ruling, of course, did not go in the McCoys' favor. Shocker. This was in large part due to the testimony of Bill Statton, a distant member of both families. Interesting tie. So naturally, the McCoys then went and they, middled, they murdered Bill Statton. <laughs> Why not? Somehow, the McCoys were able to argue that the shooting was in self-defense, so no one got in any further trouble. That didn't please the Hatfield clan at all. So the feuding went on. The Hatfields and McCoy family took a Romeo and Juliet sort of turn when Rosanna McCoy, the daughter of Randolph McCoy, fell in love with a womanizing John Z. Hatfield. The McCoys disowned Rosanna for her betrayal. But it wasn't long until John Z. Hatfield left Rosanna in the dust for other girls. Girls, let that be a lesson to you. Despite her being pregnant at the time, John Z left Rosanna for her cousin, Nancy McCoy. The McCoys took John Z hostage as retribution, but the Hatfields freed him by force. A few days later, at an election day celebration in Pike County, Kentucky, three of Rosanna's brothers stabbed Ellison Hatfield 26 times. Ellison eventually died from his injuries, and the McCoy brothers were murdered by a vengeful gang of Hatfields led by the one and only Devil Ons Hatfield. The final battle between the Hatfields and McCoys was an epic and horrible one. On a night now called the New Year Massacre, Capfield, I'm sorry, Cap Hatfield and John Vance led a party to the McCoy family cabin and set it on fire. When the McCoys came running out, they opened fire. Two children were killed in the incident, including Randall McCoy's daughter. Later, the McCoys were hunting the Hatfields when they ran into a Hatfield ambush. This just keeps snowballing worse and worse. A huge shootout started, and though initially ambushed, the McCoy family members soon gained the upper hand and won the battle. The Hatfields were then captured and tried for their crimes. Most of them got lengthy prison sentences, and the illegitimate son of Ellison Hatfield was executed for killing one of the children. This was the unofficial end of the feud, but its history is legend to this day. Although they ended the feud in 1891, some of the generational family members got together in 1976 and shook hands for the first time. Saturday, June 14th, 2003, 
marked the official end to the Hatfields and the McCoys feud when the families signed a truce in an event broadcast by the Saturday Early Show. This is heartbreaking. <laughs> you read this and it's just like, would someone just please stand up and say stop, enough is enough. 139 years this feud went on until its official true signing end. What were these two families holding on to? Hatred, demonic violence, Severe family, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual dysfunction and trauma. Multiple murders. And over what? What two people believed that they think what happened. And then it was further cemented by a theft of a hog. Unverified secondhand information, the alleged killing done during a war that was the first deposit into the holding grudges bank account, if you will, that created a totally avoidable series of events that lasted for generations. One year shy of 140 years. What a horrible legacy to leave. So this holding grudges bank account, that got me kind of started down a banking theme I was like, hmm, what are the biggest banks in the world? So here you see some banks. J.P. Morgan, you see a number of U.S. banks, some China, one United Kingdom bank. These are the top ten banks in the world, according to their assets and their holdings. Pretty staggering, <laughs> pretty wild. And then I was like, wait a second, there's a bigger bank than all these put together. Every single person that has ever lived in this world has an account in this bank. You have an account in this bank. In fact, this thing was created before time was even created. The first deposit was by an angel named Lucifer, now known as Satan. And just like any of these banks and any of your hometown banks, there's perks when you open an account. Who doesn't like getting a free toaster, right? Well, maybe not a toaster anymore. Now it's like a stress, squishy, foamy shape of the bank. And you have to use it when you see how little interest your accounts are gaining. You're like, why is it even in there? And then you break it because this indestructible thing wasn't supposed to break. Some of these banks, though, go up and above. They will actually give you free money to add to your first account. Go to that one. However, in this bank that we all have accounts in, there's an added perk. We get gifts when we add via deposits to our account. This bank gives an amazing interest rate on our accounts, amazing growth. We get instant justice, instant gratification, instant satisf satisf satisfaction. It gives us a self-inflated sense of ego, self-inflated sense of power, control, importance. Gives us the 
gratification of vengeance served. Many times by our own hands or by our own tongue. And then there's the unknown gifts that are given to us that we have no idea. It's a cancerous, gangrene root of bitterness that grows into hatred and worse. And if left unchecked and still getting fed, it will one day devour and kill us. These are all gifts from our enemy, the same one that, talks, that Peter talks about, who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for those that he can devour. So Satan, has, Satan himself has an account here. Adam, Eve, Cain, Jacob and Esau, Joseph's brothers, the Hatfields and McCoys, all of us have an account here. Oh, and there's an added bonus. All of our ancestors that have passed, many times we inherit their accounts and they add to ours. And much like the Eagles song, Hotel California, you can check out any time you like with this bank, but you can never leave. In fact, with each one of our deposits, it enslaves us and puts more chains around us. So, all right, Dave, enough. What is the name of this bank? Wait for it. Go ahead to the next slide. The Wrongs Done to Me Bank. And there's actually someone that if they chose to have an account here, they would have the biggest account than all of us. And everyone who's ever lived and breathed the breath in history, their account would be bigger. He could own this bank, but he doesn't want any part of it. Same as Jesus. There is a way out of this bank. 1 John 1, nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus alone provides the way for you to close your account at this bank forever. Escaping that prison. And it's through his forgiveness to you. And when you have been forgiven of things that you could never pay for, that were leading you to death, an eternal separation from a life with Jesus and his family and his kingdom. Because of him and his spirit that lives in you, that is what allows you to start forgiving others and seeing the joy in forgiving others. And as the word says, just as through Jesus Christ, God the Father has forgiven you. Our church had a message on our sign earlier this year. A forgiving heart is a forgiven heart. And that is so true. If you haven't experienced the ultimate forgiveness, it's really difficult for you to even understand why you should forgive, yet alone actually do it. Now, there's lots of lies from the creator of this bank. And this bank is actually more like an eloquent, lavish prison in disguise. It's every lust of our eye is instantly available. And all it does is enslave us even more. This next photo is of Oscar Wilde. 
What a great, <laughs> great quote. Always forgive your enemies because nothing annoys them so much. This guy was an Irish poet and playwright in the late 1800s to early 1900s. Is this snarky? Yeah. Is it fun to say? <laughs> it strikes a chord of like, yes. Is it gratifying to throw at someone? Oh, yes. Does it honor and please our enemy? You bet, every time. And then on the flip side, is it God-honoring? Is it striving to make peace to everyone that we encounter and interact with? Does it make us a good example of being an ambassador of Jesus, those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus? Is it pleasing to the heart of God? Never. And then we have the wolves in sheep clothing. This is Joseph Prince in his book, Destined to Reign, page 53. Repentance and confession of sin are never necessary. This guy claims to be a follower of Jesus, and there's a whole rebuttal online of his book. Because that is nothing but demonic, and that is nothing but heresy. Who is this guy? He is a Singaporean evangelist and the senior pastor of New Creation Church, which is based out of Singapore, and he's one of the church's founders in 1983. And that statement right there is built off the same lie that's recorded in the in the Lord's book to us, in Genesis 3, did God really say? This is your way back to God on your terms. And if it's not from the Lord, if it's not biblical, it's unbiblical. So what does all this have to do with Joseph? I'm glad you asked. Thanks for sticking with me. It has to do with real forgiveness. Because Joseph's brothers didn't believe because they hadn't yet received Joseph's forgiveness that he had already given to them. I'm going to read verse 15 here again in chapter 50. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said... Oof, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So what do they do? <laughs> they go into the seat mode. <laughs> Just like their daddy. See, Joseph's brothers had huge accounts in the wrongs done to me bank. It started when they saw the favoritism given to Joseph dad's special favor on Joseph and then on Benjamin and then the rest of them because they belong to women that Jacob never truly loved like he did the love of his life's sons Joseph and Benjamin so even though Joseph said he forgave them they didn't believe him And this says more about Joseph's brothers and their hearts than it does about Joseph. Because for them to think that Joseph would now take revenge on them, now that dad is dead, 
is more of a reflection on them as what they would probably do in a situation. Human heart tells a lot, especially out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is that situation with them speaking and doing this thing. Because it made me just kind of sit and imagine the impact when Joseph finally reveals who he is to them and the power. He is second in command of all of Egypt with only Pharaoh as his reporting manager, if you will. He could do anything he wanted to them, no questions asked. So they're sitting there, rut row. Our umbrella of, an, of protection from dad is now gone. Let's go into deceit mode. Let's say, because we know Joseph really loves and respects his dad, our dad, our collective dad. So let's send him a message saying, hey, this was dad's dying wish, so be kind to your brothers because this is what I want. And we'll make it come from dad. So they falsify a dying request from their dad to Joseph to cover their collective rear ends. See, their thoughts automatically went to the easy button of retaliation. They wanted to make Joseph suffer. They wanted to make him hurt. They wanted to cause him immense pain. And all of a sudden, he's in a situation, in a position where he can do that, and they're like, uh-oh. He can make us suffer. He can give us immense pain. He can make us hurt. But there's only one qualified to do all those things. His name is Jesus. That is not our job. The Lord is the one who promises to give justice, and he promises to give it perfectly at just the right time, every time. So why forgive? Well, Jesus and God's word commands it. He commands us to do so. Colossians 3, 12 through 14 reads this. Put on then, Paul is writing to the church of Colossae, his God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, go get revenge. No, no, I'm sorry. That, no, it doesn't say that. What does it say? Forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So what does Jesus and God's word tell us to strive for, given this command? Peace and unity in Jesus. Hebrews 12, verse 14, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Romans 12, 18 and 19, If possible. That was put there for a reason. If possible. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay says the Lord. And for a while, in my teens, especially throughout my 20s, that was one of my favorite verses. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Well, hey, I do the Lord's work. 
No, Dave. <clears throat> Wrong answer. Confess, repent, man. For a person to find true forgiveness, this is what else we're to strive for. They must admit the sin. This is called confession. Then they must turn away from the sin and turn back to Jesus, and this is called repentance. So if you've been wronged, what do you do? Forgive. Just as God the Father, through his Son, Jesus Christ, has forgiven you. Well, that's great, Dave, but what do you do if they don't repent or if they don't ask for forgiveness? I'm glad you asked. Matthew 5, 38 through 40. Jesus is talking. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him also the other. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. So what does this verse mean? We just stand there and become a divine punching bag of sorts? Absolutely not. That is not what Jesus is saying here. We're not to be a doormat. He doesn't call us to be a doormat. He doesn't call us to continue to experience abuse. It simply means this. Do not respond in kind. Don't respond in the same action or the same words that were done against you that were hurtful. And again, never purposely endure any kind of abuse, whether it be physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. Spiritual abuse is one of the abuses so often forgotten, not mentioned. But there is a thing called spiritual abuse. And here's what else you do. You continue to pray for them. Again, Jesus' own words here in Matthew 5. This is all in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons or you may be daughters of your Father who is in heaven. You are relinquishing your right for retribution to the person who can do it best. And you are to pray for those who are hurting you, persecuting you, for those that have hurt you. What do you do if they repent and ask for forgiveness? You forgive them. <laughs> Just as God through his son Jesus Christ has forgiven you. How many times do we do that? As many times as necessary. Jesus said 70 times 7. If they're a repeat offender, you pray for them and you set up boundaries. No one has the right to come and purposely continue to do harmful and hurtful things to you. Again, God does not call us to be that. You love them with the love of Jesus. You pray for them. For the Lord to recapture their heart or to capture it for the first time if they don't know Jesus. And you leave them in his hands. And set up boundaries. And if they do repent and ask for forgiveness, pray for them right there and then at that moment. It's 
going to be such a healing time. Prayer has that effect. If you've been the offender, you confess and you repent and you ask for forgiveness. If they accept and offer you forgiveness, you thank them and offer to pray right there and then. Letting them know that you are serious and that you're going to strive not to do this offense again. Well, that's great, Dave, but what if that person won't allow you to talk with them, won't allow you to try and get things right in a God-honoring way, won't allow to hear your apology and your asking for forgiveness? Because that does happen, and it happens in the church, in the family of God. So what do you do if you are unable and you are told that you cannot do that? You don't press the issue. You don't force your way into their presence for a conversation. You try to convey that you'd like that future opportunity to ask forgiveness, to apologize, or to clear up some kind of misunderstanding if it was an unintentional thing. And you ask for that door just to be open at some point in the future to that person, or you just pray that to the Lord. You keep that door open for the opportunity, and you pray for them. And here's the most important thing, along with praying for them. You pray to the Lord that the enemy will not take that opportunity to plant the seed of bitterness in you. Because that is so often what happens. We get rebuffed from doing what the Lord has called and commanded us to do. So that what happens when we don't have that opportunity? Our enemy is prowling, prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for those he can devour. Oh, I can't make things right? Well, then fine. Whatever. That's not, that's not from the Lord, guys. Pray for this continually. Because remember, who is our true enemy? Ephesians 6, 12. It always comes back to this, guys. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Don't allow it to become a source of a foothold in the, of, of our enemy in your life. And as we're closing out this series in Joseph today, I remember the the message from John Powers and from Jordan Howell. They mentioned a thing called typology, about how Joseph was a type of Christ. The Bible is full of this stuff. It is incredible. If you ever do a study on typology, it is amazing. The story of Joseph is so full of typology. He was a type of Christ. He wasn't Christ. Don't get me wrong. He was a type of Christ, a picture of the promised coming Messiah that will save his people from their sins. How he forgives his brothers here is a type of Christ. Totally and completely. And what does the word say when he heard this falsified message from dad, who is now passed over and is now in paradise with his forefathers, but most of all with his God? Joseph wept when they spoke to him about this message. 
Now, this isn't thus saith the Lord. This is maybe sanctified imagination, but this is a couple things that came to my mind. Why he wept over this statement from his brothers. And my thought is maybe he was weeping because of the unbelief of his brothers. Here they go. Pulling another, <laughs> pulling another bad rabbit trick out of their hat. The unbelief that he could actually forgive them, I think might have been part of the reason that they were that made Joseph weep. Without wanting to take vengeance on them. And this is again a glimpse into their belief system. And then I thought about the heart of God. And when people won't experience and won't receive the forgiveness that Jesus offers because of what he did in the cross for, for them. He gave up everything, his own life. And I'm sure that would make him weep. People in their unbelief. So what are you holding on to today? Are you holding on to the words, the promises, the fruit of our enemy? And here's some of the fruit. Anger, bitterness, keeping score, an unforgiving heart. Or are we holding on to the word of God? Are we holding on to God's promises? Are we holding on to the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, and faithfulness? Maybe the better question is not what are you holding on to, but who are you holding on to? Are you holding on to yourself? Are you holding on to someone else to protect you or to walk you through this life? Because look what happened to Joseph's brothers. Their whole thing crumbled. The moment dad died, they thought they were in hottest water ever. Or are you holding on to Jesus himself? Before I go into this, I just want to share a quick but God story of my own. I wasn't going to share this, but I'm just thinking I should. There was an event in my extended family back in 1997 that cut our family apart. Extended family member got married to someone that they should not have. It was not a good match. The night before the wedding, huge explosion of anger and hatred. Wedding never should have happened. It did, though. And that person that my extended family member never should have married started doing things in an inappropriate manner to a girl that I was dating at the time. So I called this person out on it. Broke up the family. And one of my favorite uncles had it out for me. Multiple meetings, met with Pastor Lutzer. Nothing. Nothing good. led over into 
years of, not annoyance, but years of harassment to my parents from this uncle. My parents forgave. It was one of my favorite uncles. So this event happened in 1999. I got a Facebook message this last spring from my former uncle because I was basically like, well, I don't know him anymore. He sent me a Facebook message apologizing, asking for forgiveness. He's got some kind of late stage leukemia, cancer going on, and my aunt is struggling with all kinds of physical ailments. I've been praying for this. I type back, I forgive you, Uncle Jack. Thank you. And I'm sorry to hear about what you're going through, and I'm praying for you and Aunt Joni. <laughs> Meanwhile, the married-in in-law, he and my cousin got divorced in 2017. They have one child now going into college. Our families were tight. We were tight because my mom's family, it was her and her sister, and that was it. On my dad's side, he had like four other siblings. So I had like 16, 17 cousins on my dad's side, but on my mom's side, it was four cousins total. And we were so close with them. And then from 1999 till current day, I really haven't spoken to any of my other cousins. where the enemy lives. And part of my mind, I was just like, Lord, why did you have it go 24 years? But then the Holy Spirit shut me down and said, mm-mm, that's not right, Dave. No. My timing's Perfect. Okay, thank you, Jesus. I haven't had any conversation with my Uncle Jack since then. But that was an answer to prayer. Give God his timing. Let God work. Don't let the enemy fill your head with all the rights that you have that you believe that you should be holding on to. Give up your rights. Because if that were the case, Jesus could have held on to every single one of his rights and not forgiven us. He didn't do that. So if you don't know Jesus as your Savior today, admit you're a sinner. Acknowledge that you have sinned, that you have missed the mark of perfection by taking your first breath. Actually, by being conceived, you were born into sin. Confess and repent of your sins to Jesus.
believe that Jesus died for you on the cross. Believe that he rose again from the dead, just as he promised. And then see, call upon the name of the Lord as your Savior. Brian Wasty gave his testimony a couple of months ago at our Men's Supper event, his favorite verse, and it's right up there with mine. Romans 10, 9, 10, and 13. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, head-heart connection, you need both. You will be saved. For one, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If that has resonated with your spirit today, you are a child of God. If you have done those three things, you're part of God's family. Please don't leave here today without telling Pastor Russ or myself so we can celebrate with you and help you and walk with you on this new relationship with Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, I pray this made sense today. We need you. We have zero hope without you. Thank you, Jesus, for this love letter you wrote to us, these 66 books that are full of failure after failure after failure of, one of your most prized creation of human beings. It is ugly. It is the disgusting read. And it gives us no hope until we see your continuing theme of redemption in your love later to us. That is our encouragement, Lord. You are our encouragement. The gospel is our only hope. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for us. And for those of us who have confessed and repented of our sins for taking our sins and putting them to death, past, present, and future, and giving us your robe of righteousness so when we do sin, and we're still going to until you call us home to be with you. God the Father doesn't see us, doesn't see our sins. He sees your robe of righteousness, Jesus, given to you by you to us. Let us live for you, Lord. Let this amazing, loving, welcoming church be a beacon of hope in this area for Iowa in Minnesota, wherever these airwaves that Pastor Russ's messages are reaching to. Let this church, that your church here be known for people who love Jesus and have love and acceptance and forgiveness for everyone who comes through this door. Let us be quick to forgive. Let us be quick to make accounts right, to settle accounts quickly. Let us be quick to receive forgiveness because we've received it from you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.